Welcome to Influencer Marketing Talks, brought to you by Cure Media, the leading influencer marketing company for fashion brands. This is your weekly podcast to learn more about influencer marketing and social media in right around 15 minutes. I'm Senna Oudmark and I'm the head of marketing at Cure Media. In this week's episode, I talk to Oskar von Konov, COO and deputy CEO at Naked, one of the fastest growing companies in Europe. They have truly been showcasing themselves as one of the leaders in fashion and e-commerce. And of course, we're all curious. What has been their key to success across so many markets in such a short time? Hi, Oscar, and welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Thanks. Nice to be here. Nice to be here. You took the bike to the studio with three kids? Only two today. I left one at uh, grandma's. But yeah, I'm, I'm father of three small kids. Uh, nice. Five Two and one years old. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, morning logistics at it its is, best. It is, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself and what's your role at Naked. I'd love to. Um, so I'm born and raised here in Stockholm, Sweden. I, uh, I have a background as a management consultant to start with uh, about 15 years ago when I graduated from, from university. And I've spent about the last 10 years in, in retail and the last eight years in fashion. And uh, I've been with Naked since, since the beginning in 2015, uh, where I joined Jarno, to, um, the, the founder and the CEO, to uh, set up the business. In that case, it was nothing more than an you know, idea on a piece of paper. We didn't have much funding. We had some funding. Mm. Uh, so it's been it's been quite a ride. Uh, we're now on our sixth year of operations, wow. and uh, last year we had a turnover of about two hundred million euros, and we're just on the verge of of break even, i.e., making profit. So uh, it's been six pretty intense years so far, but we still have a long way to go. Yeah, that's amazing. And. In Sweden and in my generation, you are famous for being one of the first brands that really did influence marketing and talk to the to talk to our generation in our way. Yeah, and it, and it goes back to, I mean, 2015 when we sat down with with the idea. We did a lot of research about Gen Z and the millennials, mm. um, which is our target audience uh, in terms of primarily the female population. And, and we did a lot about research on how do we reach these guys and how do we actually uh, talk to them uh, or mm. through them rather than, than uh, like the old, uh, old media or uh, through like the old companies are doing. Yeah. So it, it's been a strategic choice from the beginning to work in particular with these channels to reach this tar- target audience. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think this is the critical step that many companies spend too little time on and maybe not realize how important it is to not only know who your target audience is, but also how they want to be communicated with, in which ways, what engages them, what is important for them in their lives, and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and I think you know, the world has changed quite a bit since we uh, started in 2016, yeah, for sure. Um, especially in this field, right? We were, I wouldn't say pioneers, but we were relatively early on the ball 
uh, at mm. least up here in the Nordics, in terms of how to work with these channels and and the influencer community. Yeah. Um, and now it's much more of a kind of standard marketing play, right? So a much Definitely. more crowded space today than it was back then. Yeah, today is is a more mainstream marketing channel. But I agree, you were early on, and then that's so cool that you could see that already then, back in 2015. Yeah, and and. I think that's one of the cool things with Yarno. I mean, he's been around in, in the e-commerce market since 2003, and he yeah. always has <laughs> a a eye for what's the next thing in terms of trend. And mm. neither Yarno nor I are in this target audience, mm-hmm. uh, so it, it came with a little bit of uh, reading up, but also from his side, lots of experience uh, from from the Nelly days and working with influencers uh, early on. Yeah, yeah, he's truly a legend within within the e-commerce fashion space for sure so you're growing a lot and you are present in many many different markets across the world and with such a rapid growth across the world what would you say are the main challenges to ensure continuous business success in every new market well first of all the more markets you enter the more complexity it adds to your business and 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 your setup and it goes really for everything from from marketing to operations to customer service and so on so it's important when you build your business to build it in a way which is scalable and if we look at marketing specifically each market probably needs some some special um, special care and special treatment in order to be successful and and the further we you move away from from your home market and the similarities to your home market the the effort that you need to put in there is increasing um, with, with distance, more or less. And, and then there are, of course, uh, exceptions to that uh, to that rule. But but we often say that it's better to choose a few markets to go deep into rather than do too many at once and go, go too shallow. For every market that you enter, it's important to keep the uh, control of... Uh, profit and loss for that specific market, the unit economics of that market. Because each market has different components and different um, different ways it's behaving in terms of return rates, in terms of uh, costs for distribution, costs for payments, etc. Different uh, basket size and, and, and so on if you're in a physical retail space, um, i.e. selling physical, physical mm-hmm. products rather. So keeping all those things in mind, we suggest that you create a profit and loss statement per market which you track continuously over time um, and basically keeping the marketing spend uh, under control in comparison to the, to the revenue it brings. The money you bring in in terms of sales, uh, we start with what we call GMV, the gross merchant value. And then you need to deduct the VAT that you pay in each market. You need to deduct all the returns that you get. And that brings you down to net revenue, which is basically the, the money that comes into the company. If you're then in the physical product space, you need to deduct the cost of goods sold. And then all the variable costs for dealing with uh, a, a purchase, which is, again, from in the physical space, warehouse costs, distribution costs, costs of packaging, costs of payment, and this takes you down to what we call contribution margin two, which is basically then 
gross profit minus all the variable costs. After that, you have the marketing spend in the profit and loss statement, and that takes you down to contribution margin three. And as long as the contribution margin three is positive, you can push your marketing spend further to gain more revenue. But as soon as your contribution margin three turns into a negative um, place, for every additional marketing dollar or euro that you spend to get more incremental revenue, you will actually lose more money, right? So, so keeping the contribution margin three um, under control against the top line that you actually bring with those marketing spend is essential to build a sustainable business. Right. Good to have a framework like this. Yeah, it, it gets quite technical. But I think if you want to get into these markets, looking at the marketing spend over the net sales is super important to, to not uh, start to lose money rapidly. Yeah, for sure. Spend your money wisely. And has this strategy changed along the way or has it been the same from the day you first entered a new market? We had the the luxury, I would say, to be uh, relatively well-funded from day one. So we could actually have a play where we focused more on, on top-line growth and uh, w- with the expectation that profitability would come further down the line with, uh, with volume. And I understand that th- this is very different for, for different companies. I mean, if you start something from your, from your household uh, and your private money, you probably cannot be that long term in your strategy as, as as we have been. And then you need to focus more on the contribution margin three and keeping your finances uh, intact. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, definitely not a walk in the park, right? Uh, especially not today then, with, with this crowded <laughs> crowded marketplace, if you look at influencer marketing and, uh, yeah. and collabs. Yeah, definitely. And more and more companies are now entering the digital scene. I mean, compared to digital natives as you guys that have been digital from day one. It's, of course, hard for traditional retailers coming from the physical store to to gain the same momentum and to compete uh, on the same arena. Absolutely. Moving into influencer marketing and social media bits, where I know you are really strong, what role would you say that social media and influencer marketing play in your marketing strategy when entering new markets? I mean, as we talked about a little bit in the beginning, social media and influence marketing has been key components of our growth since day one, and, and it still remains the case. Mm. Uh, we are currently working on doubling down on France. So we did a little bit of research there in terms of our target audience and how they, the first-time shoppers had actually gotten to hear about Naked. And 86% of those guys uh, come from social media channels or influence uh, marketing uh, That's a huge number. So, so that kind of shows how important it still is for us. It's one of many marketing channels, but it's it's definitely key for us uh, when entering a, a new market still. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. And also good that you do these surveys when you need to get to know new audiences and their behaviors. That's a tip for many out there, I think, to to do this research. Yeah, and and... I mean, influence marketing can be super powerful if done right. If you mm. find the influences that are on par with your brand and talk directly then or, and reach the, the audience that you would like to, yeah, 
but it can also be a very quick way of losing money uh, if you bet on the wrong horse yeah. and you don't have that strategic fit with the company and the brand as such, because then it doesn't really matter uh, what what the influencer is doing. It's the fit, if the fit is not there, it's not authentic, mm. and then it won't work. I agree. And I think this has also changed from, if you, we could go back again to 2015, it was much easier to succeed with influence marketing because it wasn't as sophisticated and it wasn't as so much competition in the field. So you could succeed easier than today. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I think one of the reasons why we have been successful have re has really been that we have managed to find that those influences with that strategic fit, mm. also from the early days. And, and some of them, or several of them, we're still working with today. Yeah, that's amazing. When entering a new market, you have a different challenge, of, obviously, than working in your home market, which is that you perhaps do not know exactly which the influences are that you want to target. So that's something to bear in mind and, and do some research about. And there are different ways of going about to get there. I think one thing that we could suggest is to look at comparable influences. So you see what is working in your home market and you compare those influences with similar ones in the, in the target market, if the market is relatively similar to the home market. Then, of course, if you have some audience and some traction there, uh, talking to that audience and customers is obviously essential to understand which are the ones that they are actually listening to uh, and, and think are on par with the brand as such. Then, if you want to go more exotic, it's, it's more different because, uh, for instance, an, an Asian customer um, is reacting completely different to uh, certain influences than, than we do here in, uh, in, in Europe. Yeah, uh, and even other platforms and things like that absolutely. as well. So there it becomes more difficult. And then... Um, one strategy could be to look at brands that you want to com compare yourself with or aspi aspire to uh, and look at who they are working with uh, and start from there. But um, again, it's, um, it's a very quick way of losing money if you don't do it right. So better take the time and actually do the analysis and, and uh, homework before, uh, before entering a new market. Mm. Yeah, that's important. I know you at Naked do many different collabs and I sometimes see them everywhere. And I, of course, feel a big urge to shop right away. What is your strategy regarding your different collabs? To do collabs has been part of our strategy since, since day one. So we find influencers that we try out via our influencer marketing uh, play. We see that they have commercial value and that they're followers are actually responding to what they're doing uh, in relation to Naked. And once we have tried those influences a few times, and we see that they are actually delivering um, over time, we start a conversation with them about uh, doing, doing collaborations, that is doing a, a capsule collection with Naked. And for many of these collabs, we continue to do different drops uh, for you know, three, four, five, six drops if it if it works well. So mm. so it's an ongoing partnership that we have with the ones that are are working. And we are, and we have this set up to have alignment in terms of you know the financial side as well. So it should 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 gain both parties if if the collab is performing well. Yeah, yeah, that's also important. And I guess this is also important to localize, adapt to the different markets, to choose the right influencers 
for every different market where you do the collabs. Absolutely. And, and, and there we have had a few really big successes and also a few failures. So <laughs> it's, it's been a, a learning. And I think everyone needs to go through that learning to actually see which kind of collabs are actually working. Many of them look really good on paper. Yeah. Um, so, so finding a way to actually try out the influencers and the commercial potential of the influencer before actually investing in, in a collaboration is something that we would suggest. That's important. And I think it's easy to look at companies like Naked and see that you do these successful collabs. They are sold out in a minute. And other companies look at it and think, we want to do the same. But maybe they forget that you are doing so much always on influencer marketing also and uh, you're not only doing collabs no they go very much hand in hand and i mm. i think in general people underestimate also the time and the effort that needs to go into a collab and the capsule that we do together with an influencer in order for, to, to make it successful yeah. because we cannot just push products on on an influencer it will not be authentic so we need to involve the influencer in the whole process and yeah. that's very time consuming And this year we're doing probably around 150 collaborations. So we have built a, a, a big machinery wow. to, to actually cater for this component of our uh, marketing play. Wow, that's so cool. So when you know which markets you'd like to expand to, you have, you have the map in place. What would you say have been the keys to success when it comes to adapting the offering to different markets? So the localization parts. It's funny because in the beginning we didn't do any localization at all, <laughs> although we, we sold to, at that time, 160 countries, and we have then narrowed it down a little bit. But, you know, when you sell to the early adopters and you have something special in terms of offering, you get away with quite a lot, uh, or, or basically with quite a little of localization. Yeah. Uh, for Naked, we only had a site in English. We had weird currency converters, so something <laughs> which was... 3.99 in Swedish crowns could turn up being 32.43 uh, <laughs> euros or stuff like that. But as you grow and, and you want to uh, become bigger uh, and doubling down on the single market, there are a few things that, that you need to uh, look into. One is obviously language, mm. uh, because although we think that the whole world speaks English, um, when it comes to customer service and when it comes to, to searches, Uh, it still happens predominantly in people's native tongue, right? Yeah. Then, of course, we have the delivery, uh, which I think everyone can relate to. If you have an obscure delivery service, you know you will convert less than if yeah. you than if you have your standard ones that you know you go exactly down to this pickup location or you have a home delivery preferred option. So. Mm. Getting uh, local distribution um, alternatives mm. is, is very important if you want to gain some volume. Yeah, definitely. That's something I check up right away because you want to feel safe, especially if it's a brand that you don't know so much about. Do you want to make sure you actually get your products and in time and preferably very fast? Absolutely. Mm. And, and then as well very different preferences uh, between markets in terms of payments and, and mm. the payment alternatives. I mean, we are very like Klarna driven up here in the Nordics and, and for other parts of the world as well. Um, you know, US PayPal is still big. Yeah. Uh, if you go Eastern Europe, we still have a lot of cash on delivery. 
preferences, wow. which is uh, kind of old school, but it's uh, very standard uh, in some parts of, of, of that region. So it really depends on where you want to go. And again, doing the research to figure out which are the levers to get to uh, the place where you want to in terms of growth. Mm. Finally, you, for some markets, of course, need also to look at what's your product offering and, and see uh, if whatever you have is uh, working in that specific market. So if we compare Europe to Asia or to US, for instance, the different sizes. Mm. Uh, and although for some of these regions, the audience starts to understand different uh, sizes, but it's something that the fashion needs to deal with. Like a, a small in Asia is not a small in, uh, in Europe. Two very different things. Exactly. But the, the difficult thing here is a little bit that it is, this is a chicken or egg question. It, it's, it's easy to say, but in order to localize, you probably need some volume. And it's the other way around as well. If you want to get the volume, you, you need to localize because it's mm. costly. It's costly to set up the carriers. It's costly to have all of these alternatives. And, and it uh, brings complexity to your platform and your whole operations. It's complicated, and I, I guess that makes it even more important to choose a couple of markets that you really focus on, because this localization part is very difficult to do on every market as well. Absolutely. In terms of lead times and also in terms of market knowledge, there are markets where you probably need some local presence. I mean, U.S. is one of those markets for, for Naked, where we have said, when we do U.S., we need to do it uh, full on. We need to have people on the ground. We need to have a local distribution center because if we're not set up that way, we will not be able to compete uh, in that market probably uh, with all the the local heroes, so to speak, uh, mm. the domestic companies with faster deliveries, better understanding of the market and so on. So for some similar European markets, you can probably work out of a single office and a single DC distribution center. But if you go further away overseas, uh, you need to consider if you actually need to set up an operations. But then we're talking yeah. a completely different uh, scale in terms of business, of course. But it's exciting, though, that you have a couple of big markets left. For the Definitely. Future. I mean, we have only started. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And finally, based on all your learnings so far from your many years of experience in the industry, what is your best advice to other retail brands out there who want to successfully enter and grow in new geographical markets? I think you need to be aware of the situation you're in as a company in terms of finances and in terms of um, what perspective in terms of time you have. So if you're a startup and you don't have so much money, you need to optimize the return on um, your advertising spend today. Yeah. Whereas if you're a little bit more funded or an have an established business, you can have a, a different uh, time perspective and, time, um, and invest more heavily in the markets where you strategically have d decided to, to grow in. And then uh, re coming back to what we said earlier, choosing a few markets and do those well, rather than, you know, trying to do everything at once. What we did at Naked in the beginning was to do lots of trial and errors. So try things, fail fast, mm -hmm. and then double, the, double down on, on, on the places where, where your offer and your, your marketing strategy is actually working. Yeah. yeah, that's important. Dare to fail. Exactly. 
Thank you so much, Oscar, for visiting the podcast and sharing so much insights and learnings with us. Thanks for having me. And if the listeners want to find out more about Naked, where should they go? Uh, well, l- look, uh, look obviously at the Naked website and uh, follow us on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome.